This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Abner Morris is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Morris, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is. They chat about topics like the state of boxing, which we can go into that for a long, long time. It's one of the most complicated sports in the world, and um, from the inside view, you can learn things that just don't seem apparent for something that's so fractured uh, and just difficult to understand. And then also Abner's journey from being a kid on the streets to how he became a boxing champ. He's just a true inspiration. So listen to On the Hook with Abner Morris wherever you get your podcasts, episodes in English out on Tuesdays, and episodes in Espanol on Wednesdays. Blue Wire. With the second pick in the 2017 NFL Draft, the Chicago Bears select Mitchell Trubisky. Trubisky stepping up, fires down the sideline, Robinson makes the catch. From the Raiders to the Bears, Khalil Mack, now officially in Chicago. Brought down, Khalil Mack! Welcome to... Chicago Shuffle Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Lee, here on another beautiful Sunday, a Bears win Sunday, and somehow I am here to talk about the 5-1 and one Bears leading the NFC North due to the Green Bay Packers just filling their collective pants with excrement against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and uh, save for the idle Seattle Seahawks, they are atop the NFC after six games, which you know, clearly I saw coming and I was happy to prognosticate that. But can we just take a second? We're going to get into the game in a second here. But just before the season, I listened to every prognosticator because I, you know, sucker for punishment, first of all. And second, I kind of wanted just to be excited about something. Been a tough year. Don't know if you guys know. But I, I, I wanted to read about the Bears potential as a playoff team because, you know, for my money, I thought a lot of talent, um, made a lot of mistakes last year, brought in a lot of new coaches, and there was enough there, given that they went twelve and four when everything went right, and they went eight and eight when everything went wrong, that you know, they would be in the mix to be that nine and seven, ten and six, everything goes magical, eleven and five kind of team, and make the playoffs. And I have to say, without exception, uh, there was a little bit of stuff on the local beat, but come on. I mean, if you're listening to me, you know I'm a fanboy, and you know that that can happen a little bit uh, when you get close to the team as well. So for the beat guys, that also seemed to be the case. And I mean, no one, zero people, zero national pundits picked the Bears to do anything of consequence this year to the point that uh, despite Vegas and PFF and everybody else predicting that it was anyone's division, literally anyone's, like a 25% chance for each team, no one was picking the Bears. I heard um, the Mina Kimeses of the world, shout out Mina Kimes because she's the best, except in this instance where she's the worst because she picked the Detroit Lions to win the NFC North. And then you can uh, uh, point to... Um, Kevin Clark, who I also think is one of the best in the game, except in this instance, he uh, decided that the Minnesota Vikings were the the class of the NFC North, and that was going to be the pick. And then there are those of us who decided that we'll just roll with the Packers again, and despite the fact that they went 14-2 and two, uh, the previous year. Is that right? Did they go 14-2? and two? Was it 13-3? and three? It was a lot. They won all the games. I, I definitely was super wrong about that. Uh 
you know, uh, there were those that thought, yeah, they'll just run it back and, you know, win the division and that'll be that. And here we are uh, on October 18th, 17th, 18th. Hey, look at that. The 18th. Everything's flying by. The Chicago Bears are 5-1. and one. The Green Bay Packers are 4-1. and one. The Detroit Lions are 2-3. and three. And the Minnesota Vikings are a ghastly 1-5. So uh, I'm not going to do any victory laps. Uh, I'm not going to dance on any prognosticator's graves because it's six games in. And it'll look really bad when we come back here in January and, uh, you know, the Bears finished 6-10 and 10 or something like that. Uh, I'm just not going to put it on myself. not going to put it on this team. I just uh, love to point out that despite the, the eminent flaws within this team, that uh, they do know how to win games and they do know how to kind of like find a way even when things seem ultimately frustrating. And I say that as someone who shouted at my television really loudly and scared my dog multiple times today. But, um, you know, if you look at the win column, and there it is, five and one, five and one. And they won today against the uh, upstart Carolina Panthers, the plucky, the the uh, spunky Panthers. Uh, it's just, you know, it's the name you give the team that you thought would suck, but actually what doesn't suck that much. So the the Panthers at home, and they did have some, sorry about that, did have some uh, fans in the stands today. I think we've allowed uh, another couple thousand in, so some 7,000-ish Panthers fans into the stadium and what they witnessed was the Bears defense coming back and showing people how it's done uh, and I think if the Bears can do that if they if their defense is who we think they are through six games then all the mistakes all the things that don't go right on the offensive side of the ball all the questionable officiating when it comes to penalties when it comes to hitting someone with your shoulder if you're Kyle Fuller when it comes to uh, something I really want to discuss here, which is when did it become incumbent upon a defensive line not to flinch uh, anymore? Like neutral zone infractions, it used to be you could jump all the way across the line, spit in somebody's face, kick them in the nuts, and say something about their mother. And if you got back across the line before the ball was hiked, then uh, you were good. And, and consequently if an offensive lineman so much as uh, cut a light fart before the ball snapped, that was a false start. And I understand, I understand that they needed to, you know, level that out a little bit and make it. So if a, a defensive lineman jumped across and either via contact or, you know, proximity caused an offensive lineman to jump uh, out of his stance, then yes, that was a neutral zone infraction. But in this game, the stupid referees. So it's a fourth down. They just go, uh, the Panthers just go for like a hard count, right? And this is in the red zone. This is on like the six yard line early in the game. They hard count. The Bears don't move. They hard count a second time and it causes Akeem Hicks and I believe Bilal Nichols to flinch. Now, they did not jump across the line, they barely flinched. But every offensive lineman had been coached that if you see any movement whatsoever, anything at all, I mean anything, you move, stand up and point because it'll force the referees to make a call. I contend that we've gone a bit too far with this. And when has that ever happened with NFL rule changes? But a defensive lineman is not privy to the snap count. And that's why it's a different um, evaluation for offensive linemen versus defensive linemen. One knows the snap count. The other doesn't and is trying to time things imperceptibly perfect to meet them smashing in between uh, on the line of scrimmage. So super frustrating at that point, and I think something that the league needs to take a look at. So let's back, back, back out, and let's start at the beginning. Right out of the gate, it's defense setting the tone. A, a ball gets batted up in the air, and the Bears are in business in the red zone. Now, I bring this up not just to kind of like knock down the chronological set of events, but it, <laughs> the problem with Nagy's offense and the Bears in general have been the run game and the play calling. And that's a very chicken or the egg sort of thing. But anytime you're trying to evaluate how it's going in a game, you look at third down and you look at red zone because that's really – where the rubber hits the road. And so first stop in the red zone and you've got garbage, uh, 
garbage, not just plays, but organization by the Bears. They have to call a timeout like three seconds into the game. And stop me if you've heard this before. After the game, Nagy's comments are something to the effect of, that can't happen. I really would appreciate someone out there doing the work to Google that can't happen, Matt Nagy, and get me a running tally of how many times it happens. You're the person that's supposed to make sure it doesn't happen. And so I appreciate the um, earnest nature of your comments, which are to say, yeah, that's that we don't, that's you can't have it. But they keep happening and they keep happening on your watch. So I don't know if it was, hey, we're not going to have the ball first and another series is going to happen and the offense is still getting ready to go. But immediately upon entering the game, he just it just felt like the team was out of sorts and it was only a fantastic throw and a fantastic catch by rookie Cole Komet, who gets his first touchdown in a Bears uniform with his mom in attendance apparently. And it's 7 nothing, and things are looking good. And then consequently, the first drive down, or excuse me, the second drive down after the turnover for the Panthers, they get down in the red zone, and the Bears get the stop. And you just feel this incredible uh, momentum shift where, you know, the Bears, like, these two critical plays, these two critical third downs, and the Bears convert for seven, and the Panther, Panthers don't for three. And immediately, the defense has a little bit of a chance to take advantage uh, to ask the Panthers to kind of uh, push for points and try to like get back in the game, uh, it just puts the Bears in such a position to succeed. And this used to be the old formula, right? It used to be run the ball effectively, control the clock, and then let the defense make plays and give short fields and play good special teams. And now it is have good defense, play offense, and score some points, I hope. And then uh, special teams, sure. Cordero Patterson uh, had a good punt return game, and we'll talk about the kickers here in a little bit. So these things may be coming together, but this critical thing that I'm going to harp on for minutes and minutes coming up uh, about the run game, it's it's tough because I, I was uh, reading after the game, Dan Orlovsky is now rating the Bears front four as the best in the league. It is a game plan wrecking front four. They are making plays left, right, and center, and they're creating an incredible number of pressures just in this game. And again, uh, up to this point, Teddy Bridgewater has been an incredible free agent signing. And I know that because of the number of people who have pointed out to me that the Bears could have had him instead of Nick Foles, along with Cam Newton, along with Phil Rivers, along with all these other guys that uh, clearly weren't going to come over for one reason or another. Today... Uh, Teddy Bridge was 16 of 29 for 216 yards and two picks. He was sacked four times, a QBR of 34 or a QB rating of 50, if that makes you feel better. He did have eight rushes for 48 yards. Uh, again, the Bears and their run fits and their run contains are a huge problem, but um, they're not the first team that's been able to, to give up yards on the run and still be a winning football team. So, uh, that, that all kind of bears watching. But Teddy Bridge wasn't great today. And he wasn't great today because the Bears defense chased him, harassed him, hit him, and gave him no time to find his uh, his wide receivers. I believe the final stats are four sacks, which is amazing. Uh, half a sack for Mingo, half a sack for Vauders, one for Bilal Nichols, and one for Khalil Mack. Who am I missing? Oh, and Mario Edwards Jr. Shout out to Mario for... Uh, being the waiver wire pickup of the year so far. He had a series that was pretty much all his. And then uh, six QB hits. So this is now, we're six games in. What was initially just a, a good game or two against bad competition is now becoming an ongoing trend of the Bears are, if not getting home, creating pressure regularly. And we're starting to see that dominant defense and the expectations and confidence that comes with it that uh, leads you to believe you might have something this year on that side of the football. Plays are being made in the secondary again. We saw uh, Eddie Jackson. And, I, you know, okay, so let's talk about that for a second. There's this sequence. <laughs> I laugh because it's so dumb. So Eddie Jackson gets his hand on a Mike Davis uh, carry, punches the football out. Shout out Peanut Tillman peanut forever 
The Bears turn it over. They get the ball. And it's in the red zone. It's fantastic. First pass. First first down. Nick Foles drops back, looks, throws the ball to Nowheresville. Throws the ball directly to a Carolina Panther. And in that moment, I was angry. I'm not going to lie. But then I thought, uh, there's a reason that Nick Foles was available uh, on the open market and that he's been on five different teams and that he's been seen as a career backup uh, leading up to this point, despite the fact that he's an incredibly likable human being, as evidenced by his press conference after the game. A leader of men, sees the field well, cool and calm under pressure, short memory, uh, accurate deep ball, good at getting the ball out on time. It's the uh, occasional turd ball that I think we all know about that is a combination of bad decision and weird floaty please pick me off. And it happened today. And it happened, and immediately the ball went back over to the Panthers. And I just kind of had a moment of thought, which was, yeah, we we owed a little Foles tax. And it finally, um, the bill came due. So mad, yes. Do I want it? No. But... That is who this person is. That is what his record shows, which is these occasions of just chucking a ball up for grabs. And he had another one to Mooney down the left sideline earlier in the game, which was another one that very well could have, could have been picked off. It was just before the half. So uh, not a great play for the Bears, but I think you know if you're building things into your expectations, you would expect that to happen sooner or later. And then very next play, the Fuller crashes on the ball, hits a little bit early, Ball pops up in the air. Eddie Jackson is there again, intercepts it, takes it to the house, and that is called back for pass interference. Three plays, three turnovers, uh, and a lot of screams in this house. So it's just so frustrating seeing a wonderful play happen as a fan and just that two seconds of holding your breath before the play is over to, like, is it real? Can I really celebrate this? And then seeing the yellow flag on the screen and knowing that it's likely being taken away. So frustrating. So, so frustrating. Uh, the Bears' second red zone look. So that was the third I just talked about where they had a red zone look for one play and it was chucked up for grabs. The second red zone look early in the first quarter. So there's a wide zone run to uh, Montgomery for a crap, for nothing. And then on the second, there's a blown block I believe it was by Rashard Coward who is returned to the Bears starting lineup at um, left guard replacing James Daniels over Alex Bars was completely blown up and then you have third and long uh, an obvious curl to um, Allen Robinson the defense is looking for it they break on it it's incomplete and it's immediately a field goal and so you know, I've done a little bit of reflecting as I walk the dog after the game. By the way, shout out my dog for calling me down a little bit before these games are, you know, over. Uh, just I can't shout too loud while she's here because she'll get upset. And uh, really good to kind of walk off the adrenaline afterwards. But I was going to come on here and just rail about the play calling. And I probably will a little bit. But none of the play calling really works if you can't run the effing ball. So let's save that to, to a little further down the line where... We're going to look at the O-line. We're going to look at the contracts. We're going to talk about what's next because this is clearly the fatal flaw for this team. And if they can't fix it with a scheme and their personnel don't improve over the course of the season, we're going to be in for a lot of games like this. And they're toss-up, coin flip result games. Uh, they've All those coin flips have come up in our favor so far to the tune of 5-1 and one. if just just to reiterate in case you didn't hear me this for 16 times the bears are five and one but uh i used to go to vegas a lot i used to play a lot of blackjack i used to play a lot of craps and um you know what a heater just ends sometimes and the lucky dice you were throwing or the great blackjack dealer or the shoe that you cut just right just because you had five blackjacks in a row doesn't mean that you're ever going to see one again so it would be great to see this five and one record as a series of trends, but I am not there yet. There, there are a plenty of things that I think are sustainable uh, when it comes to this team and these performances, but the run game isn't. And um, that's really going to affect the bottom line. It's why they can't salt away victories. 
It's why the defense is on the field a lot. And it's certainly why third down play calling is a massive issue. So let's get into all that. But first, let's take a quick break. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown, shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. So let's talk about what went right for the Bears and what kind of things we're going to see going forward. The first one I want to mention, sort of to get this out of the way, is the kicking game. The Bears had a kicker kick a 55-yarder at the end of the half today, and it papered over a really big mistake from Nagy, um, not for play calling, but just for game management. But uh, I'm really sorry to uh, Eddie Pinheiro, who's still on the shelf with a groin injury. I think we should expect to see that he's either headed to the practice squad. I don't know if that can be done. Can you just like demote a guy to practice squad or wave him and re-sign him to it? I think that's more likely than not at this point because Cairo Santos uh, isn't missing field goals, and now he's kicking 55-yarders. He's also been really good on uh, kickoff uh, kickoffs as they're going deep enough to get touchbacks. He seems fully healthy, and he was a very good kicker before he injured his groin uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs. I think this is just the guy going forward, and that's the fickle nature of being a kicker in the NFL, which is you're hot one year, you're out the next, you're great in uh, you know seated on a team and win a dumb kicking competition that takes an entire training camp, and all I ever hear about is the double doink as a result, scream. But uh, you're out. You're out because you got injured and somebody else came in and hasn't missed since for the most part. That's really great. It, <laughs> It's really a strange feeling again to, again, uh, almost like the Bears are recrafting the team that I knew in the early 2000s, which is a dominant defense and a strong kicking game and special teams returner. We're not all the way there yet. That one we're still working on. And then, uh, you know, a questionable QB situation and then a great run game. Mm Mm-hmm. We're down on that last one, but uh, let's keep kicking and screaming because this is going to happen here. So the kicking game looks infinitely better, and uh, I really hope that's something that can be sustained because right now, uh, much like a golf swing, Cairo Santos knows exactly what he's doing out there. Everything seems really, really true. The ball is flying off of his foot, and the Bears have themselves a real kicker. The next thing I want to do is shout out Kyle Fuller. Kyle Fuller uh, is an integral part of the Chicago bears and a cornerstone of this team. It almost seems like uh, a rite of passage for the bears to have a cornerstone cornerback. His signature move now is the stone shoulder, the Kyle Fuller stone shoulder. I've seen it like five times now. And a couple things happen every time Kyle Fuller breaks out the stone shoulder. Number one, a guy doesn't see it coming. Number two, immediately stops that person's momentum and the ball comes flying out of his hands and the uh, medical tent goes up on the opposing sideline. And number three, the referees throw a goddamn flag. I'm so tired of the Kyle Fuller flag. Every time he turns his body away, he turns his head away, he sticks his shoulder out and he makes that person's chest the target area. In this instance today, the Carolina Panther in question started falling to the ground and 
literally lowered his head into Kyle Fuller's shoulder. And then Mike Pereira, sitting there on the broadcast, said he liked the call because it was shoulder to helmet. I really don't know what you expect Kyle Fuller to do, and I really don't know what you expect defenders in general to do these days. But that's a legal play and one that they got right last week. It's almost like a litmus test for uh, for referees. My lit- litmus test in life is club sandwiches at diners. Uh, it's just something that I order to see like how you're putting things together because it's the most generic thing possible. And so if you make that well, you probably make most things well. And if you miss that, uh, you're probably going to miss most things. And in this instance, the litmus test for referee crews is that they can diagnose the Kyle Fuller shoulder and uh, not call a goddamn penalty for a guy being hit hard. That's really what this is. A guy got hit hard, and so it must be a flaggable play. One th- one way or another, Kyle Fuller is a really physical cornerback, uh, maybe among the most physical in the league, especially for his stature. And the Bears would be a significantly lesser team without him, as evidenced after a bullshit non or a bullshit call that the Bears have to just own. The second down naked bootleg in the on the goal line for the Panthers that is Teddy Bridgewater running to daylight and Kyle Fuller coming into space, an incredible open field tackle that saves a touchdown and ultimately saved the Bears four points. It was an absolute Pro Bowl play by Kyle Fuller, one of the Bears' best players. So shout out to him. And then I want to shout out, since we're speaking of defense, first of all, just off on the side, Mario Edwards, just just the best waiver wire pickup of the year so far, having an incredible moment. But then Roquan Smith. And I got to tell you, I've been waiting for this one because started to see some of those articles rolling out about the other guys the Bears could have picked at number eight instead of Roquan Smith. Quan was all over the field. He was involved in like 15 different tackles. Uh, he had a tackle for loss, a pass defense. He was great in the pass game. Great, as evidenced by... Um, you know, a number of different plays he blew up, including an incredible screen pass late in the game that put the Panthers behind the sticks when they just couldn't be. Roquan finally pulled his weight and looked like the kind of, uh, you know, hair-on-fire leader the Bears needed in the front seven, in the middle, in the middle, because Danny Trevathan, while uh, physical and run support today, still is missing gaps, still is missing tackles, and looks like he is running with lead in his shoes in the pass game and got picked on a couple different times. The Bears are getting gashed in the run game. The run fits suck. And I know Eddie Goldman is part of the the answer to this in the way that, you know, Nagy's play calling is the problem with the run game or vice versa. No. Uh, Danny is missing run fits and getting pushed around, and he is absolutely getting lost in coverage. Any crossing route... With Danny Trevathan in coverage is a problem for the Bears these days. So if I'm an uh, opposing offense, I'm looking to try to get uh, Danny Trevathan into coverage. I'm looking to run the ball not just up the middle, and this was really, really uh, disconcerting, but the edge. The Bears couldn't set the edge at all today against the Panthers, and that's surprising given who the edge defenders are. I'd have to go back and look at the All-22, and I will later this week, but my uh, early sense of it was that running to the edge away from Khalil Mack was a way for the Panthers to really move the ball. And I'm telling you, before the Bears figured it out late and the the Panthers had to go to the pass, uh, Mike Davis was absolutely crushing the Bears, crushing them. Uh, I think it was eight rushes for 40 yards. And things that looked bottled up all of a sudden, there he would just be sitting in space waiting patiently. They would open up and it'd be around the edge. A real problem. And then Teddy Bridgewater, as mentioned before, eight carries for 48 yards. That's 29 carries as a team for 112 yards and a 3.9 average. And let's just walk over to the other side of the ball. The Bears, 25 carries for 63 yards and a 2.5 average. And they did get a TD, but my God, my God, what a TD. Get on the goal line uh, due to a really nice run from David Montgomery when they have some momentum going in the third quarter. By the way, third quarter score just about to happen. Run it into the line, nothing. Run it again, call it a touchdown. Turns out that Montgomery's elbow is down and they're going to put it back out there. And I am 
literally sitting on the ground with my head in my hands because I know this is just going to be one of those third downs that pretty much decides the game. The, the Bears are a quarter of an inch away from a touchdown. Call the QB sneak, which I appreciate them doing. I There have been a couple different times where I've seen the Bears go to shotgun looks when they have less than a yard to go. And then just have Nick Foles dive over the line. And even though it was like a quarter of an inch, we barely, barely, barely got the touchdown. Nevertheless, got the touchdown. And yeah, I guess now is the time before we kind of like circle back to the big picture of what's working and what's not to talk about the run game. This is not a bug. This is a feature. And I really appreciate Nagy's kind of his his vocalization of how this thing should be handled. And it's a positive mindset. It's a we're going to get it fixed. It's we're five and one and we're not even all the way there yet. That's just like good management of people. I think that's just the way to do it. Like versus being extremely critical and negative and saying it's this guy doing it and that guy and they need to get better or they're going to lose their jobs. Even if that's the case, even if that's what you're thinking, vocalizing that to the media and making it part of public perception is not going to help at all. So what is going on with the Bears run game? Well, I'll tell you. First and foremost, and again, they just lost James Daniels. It was, you know, according to Olin Krutz, the second best Bears offensive player this year. I don't know about that, but he certainly was uh, the most athletic lineman they had and had put on weight and it looked good. And early in the season when the Bears were getting a few good runs, uh, he it had a lot to do with James Daniels pulling around the edge and creating space. So it's a big loss. Cody Whitehair has been eh so far this year. Eh. Better in pass coverage than he has been in the run game, and he hasn't had a whole lot of help uh, for combo blocks. But the real problem are the tackles, and I want to talk about that. For, before, before we do that, let's do a little bit of advertising Come right back and talk about our good friends, Charles Leno and Bobby Massey. The wait is finally over. Football is back. I mean, it's been back for a while, but now it's extra back. You might not be at a game this year, although you might. They just keep rolling them in there every week. There seems to be 2,000 more people sneaking in. But you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Sorry, tangent. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. You can be like me, where you bet a four-team teaser and feel awesome about it and win the first three games, and then unknowingly, Aaron Rodgers shits the bed against the Buccaneers, and your teaser dies again, and you live to play another day. Head to Bet Online online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. When we talk about Ryan Pace and his frequent need to trade up, to move assets, to get his guy at whatever cost, be it free agent cost or draft compensation cost, it always takes place in a vacuum. It's always, here's a fourth round pick, and they're missing a fourth and a fifth this year, but there's no name attached to it unless it's... You know, a guy that, oh, we could have had them in this slot, but we took this one and it was wrong. Those sorts of revisionist history things. I wouldn't want to do that at all. Let me say this. The Bears' left tackle was a seventh-round pick. The Bears' uh, former starting left guard, who's now an injured reserve, was a second-round pick. Cody Whitehair was a second-round pick at center. Right guard is a one-year free agent rental. Uh basically a a veteran minimum uh, signing right tackle was a free agent signing a medium tier free agent signing right tackle from the Arizona Cardinals, a team that did not want that player there anymore. Backups, an undrafted free agent, uh, right guard, right tackle, Alex bars, 
a converted defensive lineman for right guard. Uh, and then bottom of the barrel veteran minimums for uh, swing tackles. And we have two seventh round picks that became one became a practice squad guy and one was cut loose. The Bears have not spent appropriate draft capital on their offensive line. And I know that we've all lived through years of the Bears being this running football team and defense forward football team. And it was time to get into a modern era and find a quarterback who could throw the ball and wide receivers who were dynamic and tight ends who could catch instead of block. That's all great. It is. I really actually appreciate the Bears skill position talent, but if you can't run the ball, none of it matters. It's the foundation of the house. In the same way that defensive line play is what makes everything work for the Bears secondary where Kyle Fuller can break on plays and Eddie Jackson can hunt turnovers. That's what that's about. You have to be able to have Mac and Hicks and uh, Quinn and Mario Edwards and Roy Robertson Harris and all these guys that make everything work in the back end. The Bears don't have that on offense. So let's look at what's going on here. Charles Leno was re-signed for... I want to say it's a four-year, $37 million deal. And that pretty much, the guarantees on it run out after this year. After this year? Nope. One more year to go. It The whole con contract ends after 2022, but the Bears have an out after 2021. So you have a, um, what I, at this point, I would call a substandard left tackle. And that substandard left tackle is the fourth highest paid player on the on the Bears and the twelfth highest paid left tackle according to Spotrack. Spotrack? Spotrack or Spotrack? Sporttrack. Spotrack. Tomato tomato. Spotrack. That's what it is here. Spotrack. So you have major assets being spent on Charles Leno, who uh as a seventh round pick uh from the Phil Emery days was a real find. And a good guy to have on the team, uh, a sound technician, but not a guy who can move uh, people around, not a great physical talent, and uh, also has been having some issues with holds and false starts in the last two years. At left guard, you think you might have a guy in the feet going forward, especially because he's so young and so developmental in James Daniels. Hope he comes back from his injury well. Uh, Cody Whitehair has been extended, is in his se second contract, and is the leader of the offensive line. I can definitely appreciate that. Right guard is a turnstile open door with the retirement um, of Kyle Long, who had to retire due to injury. And then right tackle is Bobby Massey, who was re-signed uh, for basically like a, a four-year deal or a two-year deal disguised as a four-year deal. And uh, guess what? At the end of this year... That's a wrap on that. His guarantees are over. So he's 31 years old. Bobby Massey is. Charles Leno is 29 years old. The um, white hair is, you know, in his young prime. Daniels is in his young prime. Can it be any more apparent that the Bears need to make major changes on the offensive line going forward? And I brought up Ryan Pace at the beginning of this because you make the trade for Khalil Mack. You spend multiple first-round picks to, to get him, and he is the straw that stirs the drink. But the cost of that is they don't have these high first-round picks to spend on building out the depth of your offensive line. And so I'm looking you know, at like the right tackle spending, why Bobby Massey is the fourth highest paid right tackle in football right now, which is an unbelievable number given what some of these other guys are doing. Look, the guys who are highest paid, and again, uh, shout out to Spotrack, but also unshout out because your server is the slowest one in the history of mankind. So I'm going to sit here umming and erring while I look up the, the list of the highest paid tackles in the league. As a generality, and this also accounts for left tackle, although there are this there's this top tier of the highest paid guys who've clearly shown themselves to be premier uh, offensive linemen, is that the only value in, on offense besides a rookie-scale contract uh, quarterback is a rookie scale contract offensive lineman because no team can field the depth you would require uh, and, to, and pay all those guys to have a Pro Bowl offensive line. I think the Dallas Cowboys would be my example of a team that did it for a little while there. They had 
premier guys across the line, and they were able to get Lyle Collins as an undrafted free agent because of uh, a late um, police charge possibility in the draft that caused a first-round pick to drop all the way out of the draft. But even that has broken down for them now as guys have gotten more expensive and have gotten injured and had to retire, that sort of thing. It is imperative. And I think, you know, if you're a GM, this should just be built into your plan no matter what your offensive system would be, which is every single year you need to add a first, second, or third round pick to the offensive line. Like, you have to. You have to. Because some of these guys are going to graduate out and move on to other teams at higher salary points you can't um, work on. And listen to any podcast about college football and the development of players and the draft these days. The way that people are playing football in college suggests that there's no development, not enough practice time, not enough time for skill development on the offensive line. You need to bring them in early and develop them on your team, which suggests to me that you should have kind of a factory of offensive linemen. You need to constantly have guys that come up as rookies, have a developmental year as a swing tackle, as a backup guard, what have you. If they're a premier talent and they're ready, sure, plug them in. But uh, the Bears are bereft of talent and depth at a critical position, at the foundational element position for um, this team. And because they don't have a transcendent quarterback, because they don't have a transcendent scheme and play calling, there's no way to get away from the fact that this offensive line is going to make this a fits and starts and occasional bad third down and bad red zone look uh, and drives that fart out because – you can't get a push. You can't get a third and two. And it happened multiple times today. Multiple, multiple times. You know, I, I was sitting here thinking, how how are the Bears going to be able to get through Matt Nagy's uh, desire to be cute, to call plays and create play design that is all flash and no substance, all sizzle and no steak? I just don't think it's fair to put it all on him. So... Red zone look in the fourth quarter as the Bears are pushing forward and trying to put the game out of reach. First down, a crap run. The blocking breaks down, a yard, nothing. Which leads to an exotic look for a a throwaway ball from Foles, a kind of a disgusted throwaway from Foles. I believe it was like two running backs. Uh, Of course, Cordero Patterson is in the backfield, almost like a pistol look. Uh, immediately there was pressure on Foles. The defense didn't believe it at all. He had to throw it away. And then a third down is uh, a dump off. And immediately the Bears are putting out the kicker to um, put three points on the board. And I, we'll get to the, the, the failure of the run game in a second there. But, like, in the red zone, you could throw – where was the fade to Jimmy? And, and if Jimmy Graham is going to be double covered, which – it should now be kind of the modus operandi in the red zone for all NFL teams, given that the bears keep going back to that. Well, where is the counterpunch to that? Where is the guy that it, where's the play that makes it look like you're going to Jimmy. And in fact, you're going right next to him to Cole Komet, you know, crossing across the field or um, Anthony Miller, or um, we need to talk about Anthony Miller or any other player. Like there needs to be counters and self scouted counters to these looks that the bears have presented time and again. I do think that uh, defenses are starting to understand what the Bears are trying to run this year, and there have been a lot of routes that have been jumped, uh, especially as it pertains to Allen Robinson. So, uh, yeah, I just can't really get on board with Nagy's play calling between the cute stuff and then, you know, again, it's it's third and two. The Bears need one first down to ice the game. It's the last offensive drive of the game, so... You know, you're just trying to run the clock out. You need to get rid of the Panthers' timeouts and get one first down. And so the Bears managed to run the ball effectively on first and second down to get to a third and two. And so you're Nagy. All you need is two yards. And you need to have six games into your season. I understand that every season is different. I understand this is a process of working through issues that come up that didn't exist last year and won't exist next year. Six games in, you should you should know enough about your team to find two yards. 
and I don't have any problem with them choosing to pass it. I really don't, because God knows that if the defense is stacking eight men in the box, the Bears are not going to be able to find their way to get two yards out of that, even though David Montgomery is a hell of a hard guy to tackle and really fights for the extra yard. No, I had no problem with that. What I have a problem with is an exotic look, which led to an Allen Robinson obvious crosser, nothing to a tight end who could box out, nothing to Cole Komet, no counters. If you ran, I was saying this to a friend earlier, if you put Jimmy Graham on one side and Allen Robinson next to him and uh, just set them up as decoys, just as decoys, so much attention would go to that side of the field that you could uh, line up in the shotgun, Montgomery to the left, and you could put Cole Komet on the left side of the line and just run a mesh concept, Cole Komet, David Montgomery, and find two yards. Just let the the defender choose which one he wants to cover, deliver the ball to the other, take your two yards and go home. I don't think that's a particularly complicated play concept. I just think the Bears are so obvious in third down situations who they're going to go to. And that is the play calling issue with Nagy. The other thing is just the sloppiness, man. The sloppiness again and again and again. Again and again. Calling a, a timeout three seconds into the damn game when they first get in the red zone. And then having a delay a game right on top of that. It's just all this stuff about details and that we're going to be better about that. You know, at a certain point, I kind of have to say that this is just who the Bears are on offense. And the detail work isn't quite there. Anthony Miller catching a third down pass right at the sticks and turning running back downfield and losing the first down. That was about the last time we saw him today. Anthony Miller is the Mitch Trubisky of wide receivers. A uh, ton of talent. It flashes at times. And then idiot plays, bonehead plays, mistakes, dropped balls, fumbles. And uh, at this point, the way things are trending, he's not going to be in Chicago for a second contract. It sucks because... The, the talent, when it pops, you just go, they've really got something here. But already, fifth-round pick Darnell Mooney is a much more reliable player. I'm much more comfortable with him in, catching the ball in space. Every time I see Anthony Miller touch it, I'm afraid that that ball is going to get jarred loose. So today, uh, just in terms of the passing distribution, you've got uh, – Five receptions on nine targets for Allen Robinson. Again, some of this stuff is becoming uh, a little too obvious, but uh, a number of uh, first down catches for Robinson. It was really, really critical. By the way, shout out to the Bears going seven for 14 in, on third downs, which is the best they've done all year and a little bit closer to league average. Thank God. David Montgomery, second leading uh, pass catcher today, which I think is just going to be a feature going forward without – uh, without our boy Tariq Cohen in there anymore. So five targets, four catches, 40 yards. That's a really, really important critical element to the Bears' offense, especially given the fact that they can't run it all that well. And Montgomery is damn good. He finds yards that aren't there. Uh, really happy to have him in the backfield. And then Darnell Mooney, three for 36, uh, long of 18. That 18-yard catch was fantastic, by the way. Something I saw on a lot of film from him, which is that he can run down the field, turn around, jump uh high point the ball with his back kind of like almost like a superman flying upside down catch the ball uh and fall on his back and it's a really comfortable move for him it's just a great jump ball move from a small bodied guy but i think there's a number of catches the bears are going to be able to find from him uh going down the stretch and one of the reasons why you trust him to when you throw long uh jimmy graham had five catches for 34 yards on eight targets and Damned if I remember all eight of those targets. It really didn't seem like he was as involved as you'd want him to be in the passing game. Cole Komet, uh, his first NFL touchdown and a second catch later on that moved the sticks, two for 20 on two looks. I really hope they continue to get him more involved. And then uh, Demetrius Harris, a couple really bad drops, three targets, no catches, and you can just start to see the slide, the slide of targets over to Cole Komet. A catch for Cordero Patterson on a third down, which is fantastic because I was all ready to be mad about him being targeted in the passing game. And then, yeah, three catches on three targets for Anthony Miller for eight yards along of four. Um, he is slowly but surely being legislated out of the, uh, the game plan. And I don't really know how to tell you how he might find his way back in. It seems like the opportunities are becoming lesser and lesser 
And the less involved he is, the less he does. I feel like he's the sort of guy where the more involved he is in the game, he starts to show up again and again and again. And it's like those nine target, six catches on nine target kind of games that'll happen for him. So, you know, from a fantasy perspective, he's an unownable player because it'll be three meh games and then maybe he might have one where he pops and starts to find rhythm for a couple weeks. Something that Bears watching going forward, but right now the Bears have a fourth round pick they spend on Riley Ridley who can't seem to uh, find himself to be active any week. You have Anthony Miller who was a second round pick. The Bears traded their second round pick in order to acquire that one, a future second rounder, excuse me, to get Anthony Miller, and he's not a not looking like a bust, but if he can't make it to a second contract, that's another skill position player that uh, isn't really going to pan out, and that's after Adam Shaheen didn't pan out as a second rounder, and that's where this like kind of conversation about the Bears' offensive line is going to come back in. Those are high picks, and that is offensive line depth you could have had. You could have moved other guy, moved on from other guys, not paid free agent contracts for tackles because that's not a value point. Uh, spent that money on a premier guard along the way. It's a little bit frustrating, um, and that's just the difficulty in running an NFL roster, which is when you miss and start to miss with a certain amount of frequency, the holes show up on the roster, and certain position groups become fatal flaws for a team. And I think, you know. As the Bears go through this, shout out Matt Nagy, as they work through this thing, it still doesn't mean anything. It's like saying it is what it is. As we go through this thing, it's becoming more and more apparent to me that the misses in roster management have come to pass and have manifested in the offensive line's depth and ability. And I don't care how many Juan Castillos you bring in, and I know he wasn't there today due to a possible COVID close call, uh, but it's not a coaching issue. It's a talent issue. And all you have to do is watch the cut-ups of a Bears, uh, all the Bears rushes in a game to know that there's just not enough talent there to keep on assignment and to physically dominate. The Bears understand this. Their play calling represents that. It's, uh, you know, Nick Foles, 40 attempts, 39 attempts to 25 total runs for the team, although five of those runs are for, uh, Nick Foles. So you could even say, you know, 20 carries, 20 runs to 39 passes. And that's just how the Bears have to play in order to play winning football. Every time you throw the ball, it puts the ball at risk in ways that it doesn't when you're running it. It doesn't cause the same physical imposition uh, on the defense to have offensive linemen, linemen running downhill at you. And again, if you're going to be a team that, that, um, is that's identity is predicated on a dominant defense. If you don't have a run game to salt the clock, to grind down another team and to keep the time of possession somewhat equal, then you're really going to be in a tough spot. All that said, the bears are winning games and they're not their best selves and they are starting to get a little better every week. And I don't mean in the run game necessarily because after the first two weeks, it's really gone downhill but really just Nick Foles kind of integrating into the offense and finding chemistry with certain players. He was really good today, save for that dumb pick, which he himself said was a dumb pick. But like just distributing the ball around, making the right decision, seeing the open man, there were multiple times in this game where the Bears found rhythm that they just haven't had before. So what used to be like with Trubisky, 58 minutes of hell and then two minutes of furious comeback ability and maybe they win the game now was more like oh you know first drive I mean the first drive was a red zone look off of a turnover so they managed to punch it in without even needing a, a first down but there were a, a few different drives of like of consequence today and that is a difference that's actually a huge difference for the Bears and so they're, they're scoring drives today three plays for seven yards as mentioned uh, and then an 11-play, 48-yard drive for a field goal. Again, the red zone looks not great. But 11 plays, like stringing together first downs and taking six minutes off the clock, was critical in a moment where the Bears' defense needed a blow. And then uh, before the end of the second half, and I really want to I really want to talk about this specific little sequence where the Bears are driving the after the two-minute warning. And why are they at the two-minute warning? Because 
Matt Nagy decided with 2.07 left on defense on third down to call his final timeout. So the first timeout of the game is a blown timeout called, uh, you know, because they can't get the right personnel on the field. And then they take a delay of game anyways right afterwards. And then you have this timeout taken with 2.07 left because Nagy thinks, ah, I need to preserve time so that my offense can hit the field. It's a galaxy brain idiot moment, and it can't happen. So, uh, unfortunately, the next play and with the kickoff, the clock runs the two minutes anyways. The two-minute warning gets burnt, and the Bears don't have a, a timeout. Now, they get bailed out because Cairo Santos hits a career-long 55-yard field goal, but the more likely-than-not scenario is that the Bears didn't have enough time to move far enough down the field to get points. And Nagy is going to escape that that bit of criticism because they got points anyways. Getting back to the rest of it. Uh, they get into the third quarter. Six-play, 33-yard drive that leads to a punt. Then the uh, the dumb interception, the one-play drive for an interception. But then there's momentum again. A 10-play drive, 56, and they get the touchdown. That's the third quarter sneak touchdown. Right back uh, after the Panthers score. There's a 10-play, 62-yard drive. Takes four off the clock then a punt, then a punt um, to you know to finish the game, and they have no rhythm late. So what used to be like a whole bunch of shit and then occasionally seeing it pop is now kind of a little more 50-50 where certain drives are going to go and certain ones aren't, but uh, we're seeing enough good there to say that there's an upward trend in the offense in terms of Nick Foles' influence on it and his ability to keep moving the sticks and find more consistency where they're just – wasn't any in the run game, and there certainly wasn't any in the passing game with Mitch Trubisky. By the way, shout out Mitch. Didn't even see you on TV today. Not even a shot of you. Not even a shot of you while Foles was looking at a blue tablet on the sidelines. Just want to tell you, shouting you out. Hope things are well with you and uh, that running the scout team is going well. I hope we don't see you play football again this year, but that doesn't mean I don't wish you well. Moving forward for the Bears, uh, that's the end of it, of their easy slate for this season. Now, it's time to talk real opponents. So the Bears are 5-1. and one. They are in first place in the NFC North. They are in second place in the NFC in general. And it's a Monday nighter next week against the Rams in L.A. at whatever it's called, So High Stadium. And then the Saints. And then the undefeated titans before the next part of the division schedule comes to town so three games against three quality opponents and the real the bears need to get out of that with at least one win i think that's the reality if they can come out of that at six and three with the the easier part of their schedule on the line i it feels like they're in a really good position to make the playoffs and if things continue to trend positively and injuries aren't too much of an issue need to discuss injuries this is a playoff team, and it, the defense is good enough, and we all know Nick Foles can really take it up a notch when the pressure is on and when the spotlight gets brighter. You never know this year, man. And and again, in other successful Bears years, uh, not just Bears years, but other teams, other their opponents incurring injuries changes these matchups weeks, week to week, and I think the Bears experienced a lot of success with that earlier this year, just players being out that uh, were critical, like with the, the Falcons, Julio couldn't play. That sort of thing where you just don't know the advantage you're going to get until the game is on. So here we go. Bears-Rams on Monday night. The Rams are a really good team. They have an incredible cornerback that will shadow Allen Robinson the entire game. They've got a quality offensive line that's off the injury schneid of last year. Jared Goff does not perform well under pressure, and that's going to be in the Bears' favor. But the Rams have moved the ball on offense. Otherwise, they have a um, three-headed <laughs> what if like all the players aren't good but there's like you know like a three-headed monster but like you know they've got like a three-headed puppy dog uh, <laughs> I'm tired it's been a long week running back stable uh, and you know uh, the Bears can't stop the run so if I'm if I'm Sean McVay and I'm looking at the Bears defense I'm just going, hey, we're going to run the ball for the entire first quarter. We're going to break out the play action when they start to sell out in order to stop it. And then we're going to try to throw over the top. And the Bears incurred 
a couple of different injuries today. One is a foot injury for Buster Screen. He came back afterwards, so you have to think it wasn't that bad. Although I'm just making that up. He probably is hurting a lot right now. Even more critically, uh, Eddie Jackson left the field, and he left the field with a pretty good limp uh, sometime um, in the middle of the game. Eddie also came back, but those are kind of the nick-up jobs that you know you need to look at you know, going into in the next game. Are they going to be able to play once the swelling happens and all that stuff? Can you turn it around for a Monday night game? Luckily, they get the extra day because of the Monday nighter, but uh, something to monitor going forward because the Bears need every single guy on their defense uh, to play well, given their struggles on one side of it. Beyond that, uh, I didn't really see any injuries to speak of on the offensive line. Nick Foles got knocked down a bunch of times, and there was a play. I think he fell on a on a defender's arm in the third quarter after getting knocked down. It looked like it really fucking hurt him. So um, it's not the sort of thing that will affect him going forward, but just kind of a reminder of the the, the state of things, which is he's more of a statue in the pocket. The Bears do give up pressure. He does stand in to take hits, and it's just one play away from seeing uh, Mitch back on the field. So the Bears really need to shore that up. Um, other injuries to speak of, don't really think there were any. They seem to avoid them on the both the offensive and defensive line, which is critical. So the Bears have been pretty fortunate this year, given some of the other injuries that have happened, especially soft tissue injuries. Ah, there was one more. Sherrick McManus, who just returned from a hamstring injury, went back out with a hamstring injury. Um, you have to think that he's going to be shut down for a while. I think we can expect... At the very least, the three-week IR, it's just one of those things where you know, you rush back from a hamstring thing and you feel like you're good and it goes again and you just need to take twice as long just to be sure that it's all the way back. So a really important special teams player is going to be out. But by and large, the Bears have gotten away with um, pretty good luck on injuries so far this season, knock on wood. And we'll see what Rams team comes to town next week. As it is for now, all that you know, yelling and railing about play calling and the run game and everything else. I am so thrilled to talk about a winning football team. And it's reaching the point now where they've beaten a couple quality opponents and um, you have to kind of start to give them their respect. It's not a great football team. It's a questionably good one, but the defense is legit. The front four is on fire. Roquan is making plays in the middle. The secondary is elite. It's one of the best in in the uh, the game, despite Jalen Johnson getting his final finally getting targeted heavily in the run in the uh, the passing game and giving up a number of uh, again it's the deep pass he gets thrown over the top of quite a bit. Got a pass interference penalty that got the Panthers on the goal line earlier in the game. Uh, so yeah, it's something to look at going forward, which is Jalen Johnson being the target of offensive coordinators around the league. But overall. A, an opportunistic secondary that can make plays given that the front four is getting pressure on the quarterback. So there's just a lot to be happy about. I'm, I, for one, uh, love talking about this stuff, love kind of digging into it. And, uh, you know, I get away from these things and think, God, all I did, man, was just talk shit about my team and what was wrong. But there are so many things that are going right so far this year. The Jimmy Graham signing looks like a great one. I was so critical of that, thinking they paid – Huge money for a guy that was on the downside. He's been critically important. Cole Komet looks like a good pick. The defense is back. Khalil Mack is a, to, a being you know back to being a godlike person. Uh, Robert Quinn is still kind of rounding into form, but you got Mario Edwards. You've got Roy Robertson, Harrison, Bilal Nichols really playing well. Look, not everything is going fantastically, uh, but there's enough good fortune turns, not just in game result but in roster decisions and roster management, Cairo Santos, obviously Nick Foles to this point, uh, Darnell Mooney. There's just enough good things going on with this team, and now you can sense that ball is starting to roll downhill. You've got players on this team believing that they're going to win every week. You've got an unflappable quarterback who believes and is inspiring, and my God, if you do nothing else from listening to this podcast, go to YouTube, watch Nick Foles talk about this team, and what a positive mindset looks like and how believable and authentic it is. And just go, look, no matter how nice of a guy Mitch Trubisky was, no matter how much he wanted to be a leader of men, some guys naturally have it and some don't. 
And you just have to look at Foles. And again, there's the age difference and the wars he's been, I'm sorry, the figurative wars that he's been through. And you just go, man, that is a guy I want to follow and a guy I want to believe in. All that stuff bodes really, really well for this team so that there are multiple voices uh, offering a positive leadership outlook versus a head coach, you know, talking in platitudes and dropping booms. And at a certain point, that voice becoming stale. So, uh, Again, a lot to be really happy about with this team, and I can't wait to see a primetime matchup, the next big test of this season against the Rams in L.A. next Monday night. For now, the Bears are your first place NFC North team. They're, <laughs> they're just a game away from being the bye, the number one seed in the NFC through six weeks, asterisk. And uh, I just want to finish by saying, fuck yeah, and bear down. We'll see you next week.